0: Jeeves and the Song of Songs. Another day dawned, all hot and fresh, and in pursuance of my unswerving policy at that time, I was singing Sunny Boy in my bath, when Jeeves's voice filtered through the woodwork. I beg your pardon, sir. I just got to that bit about the angels being lonely where you need every ounce of concentration in order to make the spectacular finish. But I signed off courteously. Yes, Jeeves, say on. Uh, Mr. Glossop, sir. Uh, what about him? Uh, he's in the sitting room, sir. Young tuppy Glossop. Yes, sir. You say that he's in the sitting room? Yes, sir. A desiring speech with me? Yes, sir. Hmm. <laughs> sir? I only said, hmm. And I'll tell you why, I said, hmm. It was because the man's story had interested me strangely. And I'll tell you why the man's story had interested me strangely. Owing to a certain episode that had occurred one night at the drones club, there had sprung up recently a coolness, as you might describe it, between this glossop and myself. The news, therefore, that he was visiting me at my flat especially at an hour, when he must have known that I would be in my bath and consequently in a strong strategic position to heave a wet sponge at him. <laughs> Surprised me considerably. I hopped out with some briskness and slipping a couple of towels about the torso made for the sitting room, and I found young Tuppy at the piano playing Sunny Boy with one finger. What ho, I said, not without order. <laughs> Oh, hello, Bertie, said Tuppy. I say, Bertie, I want to see you about something important. It seemed to me that the bloke was embarrassed. He had moved to the mantelpiece, and now he broke a vase in a constrained way. (laughs) The fact is, Bertie, I I am engaged. Engaged. Engaged, said young Tuppy, coyly dropping a photograph frame upon the fender. um, uh, Practically, that is. Uh, practically, yes, oh, you'll like her, Betty. Her name is Cora Bellinger. She's studying for the opera. Wonderful voice. She has also dark, flashing eyes and a great soul. Uh, how do you mean practically? Oh, well, it's this way. Before ordering the trousseau, there's one little point you wants cleared up. You see, what with her great soul and all that, she has rather a serious outlook in life and... Uh, The one thing she absolutely bars is anything in the shape of hearty humor. You know, practical joking and so forth. She said if she thought I was a practical joker she would never speak to me again and, unfortunately, she happens to have heard about that uh, little uh, affair at the drones. I expect you've forgotten all about that, Bertie. (laughs) I have not. Oh, no, no, not forgotten exactly. What I mean is nobody laughs more heartily at the recollection than you. And what I want you to do, old man, is to seize an early opportunity of taking Cora aside and categorically denying that there is any truth in the story. My happiness Bertie, is in your hands if you know what I mean. Well, of course, if he put it like that, what could I do? We Worcesters do have our code. Oh, all right, I said, but far from brightly. Splendid fellow. When do I meet this blighted female? Don't call her this blighted female, Bertie, old man. I've planned all that out. I will bring her around here today for a spot of lunch. What? <laughs> At one thirty. right. Good, fine, thanks. I knew I could rely on you, and he pushed off. And I turned to Jeeves, who had shimmered in with the morning meal. Lunch for three today, Jeeves, I said. Very good, sir. You know, Jeeves, it's a bit thick. You remember my telling you about what young Mr. Gloss did to me that night at the drones? Yes, sir. For months I've been cherishing dreams of a hideous vengeance. And now, so far from crushing him into the dust, I've got to fill him and fiancé with rich food and generally rally around and be the good angel. Life is like that, sir. (laughs) True, Jeeves. Uh, What have we here, I asked, inspecting the tray. Kippered herrings, sir. And I shouldn't wonder, I said, for I was in a thoughtful mood. (laughs) If even herrings haven't troubles of their own. (laughs) Quite possibly, sir. I mean, apart from getting kippered. (laughs) Yes, sir. And so it goes on, Jeeves, and so it goes on. I can't say I saw exactly eye to eye with young Tuppy in his admiration for the Bellinger female. Delivered on the mat at one twenty-five, she proved to be an upstanding light heavyweight of some 30 summers, with a commanding eye and a square chin, which I, uh, personally, would have stayed clear of.
1: <laughs>
0: she seemed to me a good deal like what Cleopatra would have been after going in too freely for the starches and cereals. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but women who have anything to do with the opera, even if they're only studying for it, always appear to run to surplus poundage. (laughs) Tuppy, obviously, was all for her, however. His whole demeanor, both before and during lunch, was that of one striving to be worthy of a noble soul. When Jeeves offered him a cocktail, he practically recoiled as from a serpent. It was terrible to see the change which love had effected in the man. The spectacle put me off my food. <laughs> at half past two, the Bellinger left to go to her singing lesson. Tuppy trotted after her to the door, bleating and frisking a goodish bit, <laughs> and then came back and looked at me in a marked manner. <laughs> well, Betty? Well, what? Uh, I mean, isn't she? <laughs> "'Oh, rather,' I said, humoring the poor fish. "'Wonderful eyes?' "'Oh, rather.' "'Wonderful figure?' "'Oh, quite, quite. <laughs> "'Wonderful voice?' Here yeah, I was able to in turn the response with a little more heartiness. The Bellinger at Tuppy's request had sung us a few songs before digging in at the trough, and nobody could have denied that her pipes were in great shape.
1: <laughs>
0: the plaster was still falling from the ceiling. <laughs> Terrific, I said. (laughs) Tuppy sighed, and having helped himself to about four inches of whiskey and one of soda, took a deep, (laughs) refreshing draught. Ah, he said, I needed that. Why didn't you have it at lunch? "Uh, Well, it's this way, said Tuppy. I've not actually ascertained what Cora's opinions are on the subject of the taking of slight snorts (laughs) from time to time, but I thought it more prudent to lay off. The view I took was that laying off would seem to indicate the serious mind. It is touch and go, as you might say at the moment, and the smallest thing may turn the scale. What Beats me is how on earth you expect to make her think you've got a mind at all, let alone a serious one. I have my own methods. I bet they're rotten. You do, do you, said Tuppy warmly. Well, let me tell you, my lad, that that's exactly what they're anything but... I'm handling this affair with consummate generalship. Do you remember Beefy Bingham, who was at Oxford with us? I ran into him only the other day. He's a parson now. Yes, down at the East End. Well, he runs a lads' club for the local Tufts. You know, the sort of thing. Cocoa and backgammon in the reading room and occasional (laughs) clean, bright entertainments in the Odd Fellows Hall. And I've been helping him. I don't suppose I've passed an evening away from the backgammon board for weeks. Cora is extremely pleased. I've got it—a promise to sing on Tuesday at Beefy's next clean, bright entertainment. You have? I absolutely have. And now, mark my devilish ingenuity, Bertie, I'm going to sing too. Why do you suppose that's going to get you anywhere? because the way I intend to sing the song I intend to sing will prove to her that there are great deeps in my nature whose existence she has not suspected. She will see that rough, unlettered audience wiping the tears out of its belly eyes, and she will say to herself, What ho! The old egg really has a soul. (laughs) For this is not one of your moldy comic songs, Bertie. No low buffoonery of that sort for me. It is all about... Angels being lonely and what not. I uttered a sharp cry. You can't mean you're going to sing Sunny Boy. I jolly well do. I was shocked. Yes, dash it, I was shocked. You see, I held strong views on Sunny Boy. I considered it a song only to be attempted by a few of the elect in the privacy of the bathroom. <laughs> and the thought of its being murdered in open Oddfellows Hall by a bloke who could treat a pal as young Tuppy had treated me that night at the drones sickened me, yes, (laughs) sickened me. I hadn't time, however, to express my horror and disgust, for for at this juncture Jeeves came in. Mrs. Travers has just rung up on the telephone, sir. She desired me to say that she would be calling to see you in a few minutes. Contents noted, Jeeves, I said, "'Now listen, Tuppy!' I stopped. The fellow wasn't there. Mr. Glossop has left, sir. Left? How can he have left? He uh, was sitting there. Uh, that is the front door closing now, sir. But what made him shoot off like that? Uh, possibly Mr. Glossop did not wish to meet Mrs. Travers, sir. Why not? I could not say so, but undoubtedly at the mention of Mrs. Travers's name, he rose very swiftly. Strange jeeves, Yes, sir. I turned to a subject of more moment. Jeeves, uh, I said, Mr. Glossop proposes to sing Sunny Boy at an entertainment down in the East End next Tuesday, before an audience consisting mainly of costermongers and a sprinkling of whelk stall owners, purveyors of blood oranges, and minor pugilists. <laughs> Indeed, sir. Make a note to remind me to be there. He will infallibly get the bird, and I want to witness his downfall.
1: <laughs>
0: Very good, sir. And when Mrs. Travers arrives, I shall be in the sitting-room. Those who know Bertram Worcester best are aware that in his journey through life, he is has, he has impeded and generally snooted by about as scaly a collection of aunts as was ever assembled. <laughs> but there is one exception to the general ghastliness. Viz my Aunt Dahlia. She married old Tom Travers, the uh, blue-bottle one, the Cambridgeshire, and is one of the best. It is always a pleasure to me to chat with her, and it was with a courtly geniality that I rose to receive her as she sailed over the threshold at about 2.55. She seemed somewhat perturbed and plunged into the agenda without delay. Aunt Dahlia is one of those big, hearty women. She used to go a lot, in a lot for hunting, and she generally speaks as if she has just sighted a fox on a hillside half a mile away. <laughs> Murder, she cried in the manner of one encouraging a platoon of hounds to renewed efforts. <laughs> I want your help. And you shall have it, aged relative, I replied, suavely. <laughs> <swaddly. laughs> I can honestly say that there is no one to whom I would more readily do a good turn. No one to whom I am more delighted to be. Less of it, she begged. Less <laughs> of it. You know that friend of yours, young Glotsup. He's just been lunging here. He has, has he? Well, I wish you'd poisoned his soup. Uh, we didn't have soup.
1: <laughs>
0: and when you describe him as a, a friend of mine, I wouldn't quite say the term absolutely squared with the facts. Some time ago, one night, when we had been dining together at the Drones, At this point, Aunt Dahlia, a little brusquely it seemed to me, said that she would rather wait for the story of my life till she could get it in book form. (laughs) I could see now that she was definitely not her usual sunny self. So I shelved my personal grievances and asked what was biting her. It's that young hound, Glossop, she said. What's he been doing? Breaking Angela's heart. Angela, daughter of above, my cousin, Uh, quite a good egg. What? I say he's breaking Angela's heart. You say he's breaking Angela's heart? (laughs) She begged me to suspend the vaudeville crosstalk stuff. How is he doing that, I said with his neglect, with his low, callous, double-crossing duplicity. Duplicity is the word, Aunt Dahlia, I said. In treating of young tuppy Glossop, it springs naturally to the lips. Let me tell you what he did to me one night at the drones. We had finished dinner ever since the beginning of the season, up to about three weeks ago. He was all over, Angela, the sort of thing which, when I was a girl, we would have described as courting or wooing. Ooh, you're courting whichever you like. Whichever you like, Aunt (laughs) Dahlia. I said courteously. Well, anyway, he haunted the house, lapped up daily lunches, took out dancing half the night and so on, till naturally the poor kid, who was quite off her oats about him, took it for granted that it was only a question of time before he suggested that they should feed for life out of the same crib. (laughs) And now he's gone and dropped her like a hot brick, and I hear he's infatuated with some girl he met at a Chelsea tea party. A girl named, now, what, 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 what what was it? Cora Bellinger. How do you know? She was lunging here today. He brought her? Yes. What's she like? A pretty massive, in shape (laughs) a a bit on the lines of the Albert Hall. Did he seemed very fond of her. <laughs> Couldn't take his eyes off the chassis. <laughs> the modern young man, said Aunt Dahlia, is a pot of poison and wants a nurse to lead him by the hand and some strong attendant to kick him regularly at intervals of a quarter of an hour. I tried to point out the silver lining. If you ask me, old egg, I said, I think Angela is well out of it. This Glossop is a tough baby, one of London's toughest. I was trying to tell you just now what he did to me one night at the (laughs) Throne's. First, having got me in a sporting mood with a bottle of the ripest, uh, he bet me that I wouldn't swing myself across the swimming pool by the ropes and rings. I knew I could do it on my head, so I took him on, exulting in the fun, so to speak. And when I'd done half the trip and was going strong... I found that he had looped the last rope back against the rail, leaving me no alternative but to drop into the depths and swim ashore in correct evening costume. (laughs) He did? He certainly did. It was months ago, and I hadn't got really dry yet. You wouldn't want your daughter to marry a man capable of a thing like that. On the contrary, you restore my faith in the young hound. I see that there must be lots of good in him after all, and I want this Bellinger business broken up, Bertie. How? I don't care how, any way you please. But what can I do? Do I put the whole thing before your man Jeeves? Jeeves will find a way. One of the most capable fellows I ever met. Put the thing squarely up to Jeeves and let nature take its course. There may be something in what you say. Of course there is. A little thing like this will be child's play to Jeeves. Get him working on it right away, and I'll look in tomorrow and hear the result. With which she biffed off, and I summoned Jeeves to the presence. (laughs) Jeeves, I said, you have heard all. Yes, sir, I thought you would. The recent aunt has what you might call a carrying voice. Has it ever occurred to you that if all other sources of income failed... She can make a good living calling the cattle home across the sands of (laughs) Dee. I had not considered the point, sir. But no doubt you are right. Well, how do we go? What's your reaction? I think we should do our best to help and uh, assist. Uh, Yes, sir. I'm fond of Aunt Dahlia, and I'm uh, fond of Angela. Uh, Fond of them both, if you get my drift. What the misguided girl finds to attract her in Young Tuppy, I... Cannot say, Jeeves, and you cannot say. But apparently she loves the man, which shows it can be done, a thing I wouldn't have believed possible myself, but is pining away uh, like uh, patience on a monument, sir, Uh, like patience, as you very shrewdly remark on a monument. Sir, we must cluster round, bend your brain to the problem, Jeeves. It is one that will tax you to the uttermost. Aunt Dahlia blew in on the morrow, and I rang the bell for Jeeves. He appeared, looking brainier than one could have believed possible, sheer intellect shining from every feature, and I could see at once that the engine had been turning over. Speak, Jeeves, I said. <laughs> Very good, sir. You have brooded? Yes, sir. With what success? I have a plan, sir, which I fancy may produce satisfactory results. Let's have it, said Aunt Dahlia. In affairs of this description, madam, the first essential is to study the psychology of the individual. The what? (laughs) Uh, The psychology, madam. Uh, He means the psychology, I said. (laughs) Oh, ah, said Aunt Dahlia. (coughs) And by psychology, Jeeves, I went on to help the thing along, you know. Uh, You imply uh, the natures and dispositions of the principles in the matter, sir. You mean uh, what they're like? Precisely, sir. Does he talk like this when you're alone, Bertie? Asked Aunt Dahlia. (laughs) Sometimes, uh, occasionally, uh, and on the other other hand, uh, sometimes not. Proceed, Jeeves. Well, sir, if I may say so, the thing that struck me most forcibly about Miss Bellinger when she was under my observation was that hers was a somewhat imperious nature. I could envisage Miss Bellinger applauding success. I could not so easily see her pitying and sympathising with failure. Possibly will recall, sir, her attitude when Mr. Glossop endeavoured to light her cigarette with his automatic lighter? I thought I detected a certain impatience at his inability to produce the necessary flame. True, Jeeves, she ticked him off. <laughs> Precisely, sir. Let me get this straight, said Aunt Dahlia. You think if he goes on trying to light her cigarette with his automatic lighter <laughs> long enough, she will eventually get fed up and hand him the mitten? <laughs> I merely mentioned the episode, madam, as an indication of Miss Bellinger's somewhat ruthless nature. Ruthless, I said, is right. The Bellinger is hard-boiled. Those eyes, that churn i could read them. A vicious specimen if ever there was one. Precisely, sir. And I think, therefore, that should Miss Bellinger be a witness of Mr. Glossop's appearing to disadvantage in public, she would cease to entertain affection for him in the event For instance, of his failing to entertain the audience on Tuesday with his singing, I saw daylight. (laughs) By Jove, Jeeves, you mean, if he gets the bird, all will be off. I shall be greatly surprised if such is not the case, sir. I shook my head. We cannot leave this thing to chance, Jeeves. Young tuppy singing Sunny Boy is the the likeliest prospect for the bird that I can think of, but uh, no... You see for yourself that we must do more than simply trust to luck. We need not trust to luck, sir. I would suggest that you approach your friend, Mr. Bingham, and volunteer your services at his forthcoming entertainment. It could readily be arranged to have you sing immediately before Mr. Glossop. I fancy, sir, that if Mr. Glossop were to sing Sunny Boy, directly after you had sung Sunny Boy, the audience would respond satisfactorily. <laughs> By the time Mr. Glossop began to sing, they would have lost their taste for that particular song and would express their feelings warmly. <laughs> Jeeves, said Aunt Dahlia, you're a marvel. <laughs> Thank you, madam. <laughs> Jeeves, I said, you're an ass." <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean he's an ass? said Aunt Dahlia hotly. I think that's the greatest scheme I ever heard. Me sing sunny Boy at Beefy Bingham's clean, bright entertainment. I can see myself. You sing it daily on your bar, sir, Mr. Worcester, said Jeeves, sending to Aunt Dahlia, has a pleasant, light baritone. <laughs> I bet he has, said Aunt Dahlia. I checked the man with one of my looks. Between singing Sunny Boy in one's bath, Jeeves, and singing it before a hall full of assorted blood-orange merchants and their young, there is a substantial difference. Bertie, said Aunt Dahlia, you'll sing and like it. I will not. Bertie, nothing will induce me. Bertie, said Aunt Dahlia firmly, you will sing Sunny Boy on Tuesday, the third prox, Or may an aunt's curse. I won't. (laughs) Think of Angela. Dash Angela. Bertie. No, I mean hang it all. You won't? No, I won't. That is your last word, is it? It is. Once and for all, Aunt Dahlia, nothing will induce me to let out so much as a single note. And so that afternoon I sent a prepaid wire to beefy Bingham, offering my services in the course. By nightfall, the thing was fixed up. I was billed to perform next but one after the intermission. Following me came Tuppy, and immediately after him, Miss Cora Bellinger, the well-known operatic soprano. How these things happen, I couldn't say. The chivalry of the Worcesters, I suppose. Jeeves, I said that evening, and I said it coldly. I shall be glad if you will pop round to the nearest music shop and procure me a copy of Sunny Boy. It will now be necessary for me to learn both verse and refrain. Of the trouble and nervous strain which this will involve, I say nothing. Very good, sir. But this I do say... I had better be starting immediately, sir, or the shop will be closed. Ha! I said, and I meant it to sting. (laughs) Although I had steeled myself to the ordeal before me and had set out full of the calm, quiet courage which makes men do desperate deeds with proud set faces, I must admit that there was a moment just after I had entered the odd fellows' hall at Bermondsey East and run an eye over the assembled pleasure-seekers when it needed all the bulldog pluck of the Worcesters to keep me from calling it the day and taking a cab back to civilization. <laughs> the clean, bright entertainment was in full swing when I arrived and somebody who looked as if he might be the local undertaker was reciting Gongadine.
1: <laughs>
0: and the audience, though not actually chay-yicking in the full technical sense of the term, had a grim look which I did not like at all.
1: <laughs>
0: As I scanned the multitude it seemed to me that they were for the nuns suspending judgment. Did you ever tap on the door of one of those New York speakeasy places and see the grill snap back and a face appear? <laughs> There is one long, silent moment when its eyes are fixed on yours and all your past life seems to rise up before you. (laughs) Then you say that you are a friend of Mr. Zinzenheimer, and he told you that they would treat you right if you mentioned his name, and the strain relaxes. Well, these costermongers and stallers appeared to me to be looking just like that face. Start something, they seem to say, and they would know what to do about it. (laughs) And I couldn't help feeling that my singing Sunny Boy would come, in their opinion, under the heading of starting something. <laughs> a nice full house, sir, said a voice at my elbow. It was Jeeves, watching the proceedings with an indulgent eye. You here, Jeeves? I said, coldly. Yes, sir, I've been present since the commencement. Oh, I said. Any casualties yet? (laughs) Sir, you know what I mean, Jeeves, I said sternly. And don't pretend you don't. Anybody got the bird yet? Oh, no, sir. I shall be the first, you think? Oh, no, sir. I see no reason to expect such a misfortune. I anticipate that you will be well received. A sudden thought struck me. And you think everything will go according to plan? Yes, sir. Well, I don't, I said. I've spotted a flaw in your beastly scheme. A flaw, sir? Yes, do you suppose for a moment that when young Mr. Glossop hears me singing that dashed song, he'll come calmly on a minute after me and sing it too? Use your intelligence, Jeeves. He will perceive the chasm in his path and pause in time. He will back out and refuse to go on at all. Mr. Glossop will not hear you sing, sir. At my advice, he has stepped across the road to the jug and bottle, an establishment immediately opposite the hall, and he intends to remain there until it is time for him to appear on the platform. Oh, I said. If I might suggest it, sir, there is another house named the Goat and Grapes, only a short distance down the street. I think it might be a judicious move. If I were to put a bit of custom in their way, it would ease the nervous strain of waiting, sir. I had not been feeling any too pleased with the man for having let me in for this ghastly binge, but at these words I am bound to say my austerity softened a trifle. He was undoubtedly right. He had studied the psychology of the individual, if you see what I mean, and it had not led him astray. The quiet 10 minutes at the Goat and Grapes was exactly what my system required. To buzz off there and inhale a couple of swift whiskey and sodas was, with Bertram Worcester, the work of a moment. <laughs> the treatment worked like magic. What they had put into that stuff besides vitriol I could not have said. <laughs> but it completely altered my outlook on life. That curious, gulpy feeling passed. I was no longer conscious of the sagging sensation at the knees, the limbs ceased to quiver gently. The tongue became loosened in its socket and the backbone stiffened. Pausing merely to order and swallow another of the same, I bade the barmaid a cheery good night, nodded affably to one or two fellows at the bar, whose faces I liked, and came prancing back to the hall ready for anything. And shortly afterwards, I was on the platform with about a million bulging eyes goggling up at me. There was a rummy sort of buzzing in my ears and then through the buzzing I heard the sound of a piano starting to tinkle and commending my soul to God I took a long, good long breath and charged in. Well, it was a close thing. If ever my grandchildren cluster about my knee and want to know what I did in the great war I shall say, never mind about the great war. Ask me about the time I sang "Sunny Boy" at the Odd Fellows Hall at Bhamondsi East.
1: <clears throat>
0: the whole incident is a bit blurred, but I seem to rec- recollect a kind of murmur as I hit the refrain. I thought at the time it was an attempt on the part of the many-headed to join in the chorus, and at the moment it rather encouraged me. I passed the thing over the larynx with all the vim at my disposal, hit the high note, and off gracefully into the wings. I didn't come on again to take a bow. I just receded and oiled round to where Jeeves awaited me among the standees at the back. Well, Jeeves, I said, anchoring myself at his side and brushing the honest perspiration from the brow. They didn't rush the platform. No, sir. But you can spread it about that that's the last time I perform outside my bath. My swan song, Jeeves. Anybody who wants to hear me in future must present himself at the bathroom door and shove his air against the keyhole. I may be wrong, but it seemed to me that toward the end they were hotting up a trifle. The bird was hovering in the air. I could hear the beating of its wings. I did detect a certain restlessness, sir, in the audience. I fancy they had lost their taste for that particular melody. I should have informed you earlier, sir, that the song had already been sung twice before you arrived. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yes, sir, once by a lady and once by a gentleman. It is a very popular song, sir. I gaped at the man. But with this knowledge, you could calmly have allowed the young master to step straight into the jaws of death, so to speak, paralyzed me. It seemed to show that the old feudal spirit had passed away altogether. I was about to give him my views on the matter in no uncertain fashion when I was stopped by the spectacle of young Tuppy lurching onto the platform. young tuppy had the unmistakable air of a man who has recently been round to the jug and bottle a few cheery cries of welcome presumably from some of his backgammon playing pals who felt that blood was thicker than water had the effect of causing the genial smile on his face to widen till it nearly met at the back <laughs> he was plainly feeling as good as a man can feel and still remain on his feet he waved a kindly hand to his supporters and bowed in a regal sort of manner, rather like an eastern monarch, acknowledging the plaudits of the mob. <laughs> then the female at the piano struck up the opening bars of Sunny Boy and Tuppy swelled like a balloon, <laughs> clasped his hands together, rolled up his eyes at the ceiling in a manner denoting soul, and began. I think the populace was too stunned for the moment to take immediate steps. It may seem incredible, but I give you my word that young Tuppy got right through the first without so much as a murmur. Then they seemed to pull themselves together. A costamonger rouse is a terrible thing. I have never seen the proletariat really stirred before, and I'm bound to say it rather awed I mean, it it gave you some idea of what it must have been like during the French Revolution. (laughs) From every every corner of the hall there proceeded simultaneously the sort of noise you hear at one of those East End boxing places when the referee disqualifies the popular favorite and makes the quick dash for life. (laughs) And then they passed beyond mere words and began to introduce the vegetable motif... (laughs) I don't know why, but uh, somehow I had got into my head that the first thing thrown at Tuppy would be a potato. One gets these fancies. It was, however, as a matter of fact, a banana. And I saw in an instant that the choice had been made by wiser heads than mine. These blokes who have grown up from childhood in the knowledge of how to treat a dramatic entertainment that doesn't please them are aware by a sort of instinct just what is the best to do. And the moment I saw that banana splash on Tuppy's shirt front, I realized how infinitely more effective and artistic it was than any potato could have been. Not that the potato school of thought had not also its supporters. As the proceedings warmed up, I noticed several intelligent-looking fellows who threw nothing else. The effect on Tuppy was rather uh, remarkable. His eyes bulged and his hair seemed to stand up, and yet his mouth went on opening and shutting. You could see that in a dazed automatic way he was still singing, "Sunny Boy. Then coming out of his trance, he began to pull for the shore with some rapidity. The last scene of him, he was beating a tomato to the exit by a short head. Presently, the tumult and the shouting died. I turned to Jeeves. Painful, Jeeves, I said, but what would you? Yes, sir. The surgeon's knife, what? Precisely, sir. Well, what with this happening beneath her eyes, I think that we may definitely consider the Glossop-Bellinger romance off. Yes, sir. At this point, old beefy Bingham came out upon the platform, I suppose that he was about to rebuke his flock for the recent expression of feeling, but such was not the case. No doubt he was accustomed by now to the wholesome give and take of these clean, bright entertainments, (laughs) and had ceased to think it worthwhile to make any comment when there was a certain (laughs) liveliness. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, said old Beefy, the next item on the programme was to have been songs by Miss Cora Bellinger, the well-known operatic soprano. I have just received a telephone message from Miss Bellinger saying that her cab has broken down. She is, however, on her way here in a cab and will arrive shortly. (laughs) Meanwhile, our friend Mr. Enoch Simpson will recite the charge of the Light Brigade. (laughs) I clutched at Chiefs. Chiefs, you heard? Yes, sir. She wasn't here. No, sir. She saw nothing of Tuppy's Waterloo. No, sir. The whole Bally scheme has blown a fuse. Yes, sir. Come, Jeeves, I said. And those standing by wondered, no doubt, what had caused that clean-cut face to grow so pale and set. I have been subjected to a nervous strain unparalleled since the days of the early Martis. I have lost pounds in weight and permanently injured my entire system. I have gone through an ordeal which will make me wake up screaming in the night for months to come, and all for nothing. Let us go. If you have no objection, sir, I would like to witness the remainder of the entertainment Suit yourself, Jeeves, I said moodily. Personally, my heart is dead, and I am going to look in at the goat and grapes for another of their cyanide specials, (laughs) and then home. It must have been about half past ten, and I was in the old sitting room, somberly sucking down a more or less vinyl restorative, when the front doorbell rang, and there on the mat was Young Tuppy, he looked like a man who has passed through some great experience and stood face to face with his soul. He had the beginnings of a black eye. Oh, "Hello, Bertie," said Young Tuppy. He came in and hovered about the mantelpiece, as if he were looking for things to fiddle with and break. "I've just been singing at Beefy Bingham's entertainment," he said after a pause. You weren't there by any chance. Oh, no, I said. How did you go? Like a breeze, said young tuppy, held them spellbound. (laughs) Knocked them, eh? Cold, said young tuppy, not a dry eye. And this, mark you, a man who had had a good upbringing and had no doubt spent years at his mother's knee being taught to tell the truth. (laughs) I suppose Miss Bellinger is pleased, I said. Oh, yes, delighted. So now everything's all right? Oh, quite. Tuppy paused. Uh, on the other hand, Bertie? Yes? Oh, well, I've been thinking things over. Somehow I don't believe Miss Bellinger is the mate for me after all. What? Uh, no, I don't. What makes you think that? Oh, I don't know. These things sort of flash on you. <laughs> I respect Miss Bellinger, Bertie. I admire her. But, uh, well... I can't help feeling now that a sweet, gentle girl like your cousin Angela, Bertie, would would in fact, uh, uh, well, what I came round for was to ask you if you'd phone Angela and find out how she reacts to the idea of coming out with me tonight to the Barclay for a bit of supper and a spot dancing. Go ahead, there's the phone. No, I'd rather you asked her, Bertie. but with one thing and another, if you paved the way, you see, there's just a chance that she may be. Uh, I, I mean, you know, misunderstandings understandings occur. And, well, what I'm driving at, Bertie, old man, is that I'd rather you surged round and did a bit of paving, if you don't mind. <laughs> I went to the phone and called up Angela. She says, come right round, I said. Tell her, said Tuppy in a devout sort of voice, that I will be with her in something under a couple of ticks. He had barely biffed off when I heard a click in the keyhole and a soft padding in the passage without. "'Jeeves,' I called. "'Sir,' said Jeeves, manifesting himself. (laughs) "'Jeeves, a rather remarkably rummy thing has happened. Mr. Glossop has just been here. He tells me that all is off between him and Miss Bellinger.' "'Yes, sir. You don't seem surprised.' No, sir, I confess I had anticipated some such eventuality. Uh, What gave you that idea? It came to me, sir, when I observed Miss Bellinger strike Mr. Glossop in the eye. (laughs) Strike him? Yes, sir. In The eye? In the right eye, sir. I clutched the brow. What on earth made her do that? I fancy she was a little upset, sir. The reception accorded her singing. Great Scott, don't tell me she got the bird, too. Yes, sir. But why? She's got a red-hot voice. Yes, sir, but I think the audience resented her choice of a song. <laughs> Jeeves, reason was beginning to do a bit of tottering on its throne. You aren't going to stand there and tell me that Miss Bellinger sang Sunny Boy, too. Yes, sir, and mistakenly, mistakenly, in my opinion, brought a large doll onto the platform to sing it to. (laughs) The audience affected to mistake it for a ventriloquist's dummy, and there was some little disturbance. But, Jeeves, what a coincidence! Not altogether, sir. (laughs) I ventured to take the liberty of accosting Miss Bellinger on her arrival at the hall, and recalling myself to her recollection, I then said that Mr. Glossop had asked me to request her that as a particular favor to him, the song being a favorite of his, she would sing, Sunny Boy. (laughs) And when she found that you and Mr. Glossop had also sung the song immediately before her, I rather fancy that she supposed that she had been made the victim of a practical pleasantly by Mr. Glossop. Will there be anything further, sir? (laughs) No, thanks. Good night sir, good night Jeeves, I said (laughs) reverently.